I think I would change uh, the determination of the leadership to take seriously regenerate church membership, leave in, and then do what is required to practice a, a conviction of regenerate church membership. I think that would go, that would probably expose a number of other things that would have to be dealt with. Hmm. And it would also get them on a pathway to spiritual health faster than anything. Hmm. So do you mean, you, you, it's your estimation that there are lots of churches that have a lot of unregenerate members? Yeah, and that, that's dying away because, you know, cultural Christianity isn't nearly as chic as it used to be. Yeah. But uh, everybody from W.A. Criswell to Paige Patterson to Billy Graham have all said something like this, that at least, you know, half to three-fourths of the people they look at every Sunday morning, they're convinced, do not know the Lord. Welcome to Grounded. I'm Steve Hartland, pastor at Cornerstone Community Church, right here in beautiful, amazing, gorgeous downtown Joppa, Maryland. And uh, the, I have a guest on today, and our topic is just general, like the state of the church. Uh, before he gets to talk to you, let me t- talk to you about him a little bit. His name is Tom Askell. He's got a Master of Divinity and a PhD from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is and has been for 36 years. Is it still 36 or is that? Almost 37. Almost 37 years. Senior pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Did I pronounce that right? It's Cape Coral, mm-hmm. not Cape Corral. Not. Right. I guess it gets called other things. 36, almost 37 years. Way to go, man. There's a lot to be said for long pastorates, right? He's also president of Founders Ministries. We're going to be talking about that today. On a more personal side, Tom is married to Donna. How long have you been married to Donna, Tom? We are just shy of 43 years. 43. Well, at least there's one thing I got you beat in. (laughs) Uh, Debbie and I married in 75. Wow. Yeah, we were both 20. Uh, I look at 20-year-olds now and think, oh, man, we were that young? We got married? How did that work? The Lord is gracious. And I believe you have six children. That's correct. Four correct. sons-in-law, a daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. And is this correct? You have 15 grandchildren? That's not correct. I've got 16 with two on the way next month. You've got to have 18, Lord willing. That is not even fair. Debbie and I just hit 13, and we're feeling pretty good about that. Though there's a, there's a family in our church, they have 21 grandchildren. Oh, man. Well, that's a life goal there. <laughs> yeah, that's a dynasty they're starting there. So... Tom, thanks for joining me on Grounded today. Say hello to everybody. Well, it's good to be with you, Steve. Thanks for having me here. Really appreciate it. Now, I don't know if you remember this. I doubt if you do, because you've met a lot of people between now and then. But you and I met once. Once. Mm -hmm. I can't remember where it was. It must have been a pastor's conference or something. But our mutual friend of ours, Earl Blackburn, introduced us to each other and we said hellos and so on and that was about it but um we actually met once yeah. do you have any recollection of that probably not you look familiar so i, I <laughs> man at this stage of my life somebody looks familiar that's as good as a golden <laughs> that's pretty good huh uh-huh very good so uh we're gonna talk about this the state of the church in general and we want to learn more about uh the founders movement in the Southern Baptist Church as well. But why don't we start off with your church, and you can tell us something about Grace Baptist Church. And uh, am I right? Did you found that church? I did not. I'm the second pastor. So the church is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. And um, the the church was 
formed out of a split of another church in town. It was, you know, hmm. acrimonious and sad deal. Ooh. When I got here, we tried to, to make amends as best we could. And, and uh, that, you know, went as far as we could go with it. Um, but it's, it was a church that had a few really uh, faithful Christians in it. And a lot of uh, people who probably were not converted and it was a really d- difficult situation. They they had, uh, after they fired their founding pastor, he'd been there about two years, two and a half years. Ooh. Yeah, he, he went on vacation. They found it. They fired him while he was on vacation. So. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yes, that's a yeah. nice move. First five years, I didn't take a vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Got to keep my eye on this place. That's right. You know, it's a matter of, of, of longevity strategy to uh, do that. <laughs> But uh, they were, I mean, they, they had can- several candidates came in and, and all of them turned them down. And so uh, the short hmm. story is I was a pastor nobody wanted. They were a church nobody wanted. And so it just kind of worked out in God's kindness uh, to put us together. So the, anyway, it's a, it's a wonderful church today. I mean, praise God. I, I'm, I'm blown away at the kindness of the Lord in, in putting me here, letting me stay here all these years. And uh, as you can well imagine, it's this is like the third or fourth church I have pastored in this place. And I'm like the third right. pastor they've had in this place, seasons and changes. But uh, God has taken us the last year and a half, uh, especially, but, but beyond that, probably three years, but the last year and a half, uh, it, it's been amazing what the Lord is doing. We are seeing people converted and the church growing, and uh, we have massive challenges now because of blessings. And, you know, praise God, if you get to choose, choose the problems that come from blessings, because, you know, at least you have the blessings to fortify you as you deal with them. But uh, but they are serious challenges and problems. So we're we're praying uh, about to enter into a time of prayer and fasting, just asking God, what would you have us do? Because uh, Man. options are slim and, and the challenges are great and it's urgent and God's got to do something. But but we're happy and unified. Uh, the I, I'm again, I'm just amazed. I, I cannot believe that I get to serve this congregation of, uh, of people, they're faithful and kind and loving and tolerant and forgiving. That's a good quality in church members, right? They'll put up with me for another year. It's a good quality in a wife too, by the way, but that's right. Yeah, I know even more so with her, but we're, we're a 1689 confessional church. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have a plurality of elders that lead us. We have uh, godly, good, gifted deacons and, uh, wonderful women who serve in various capacities and in women's ministries and other things. So, um, anyhow, we're just a, a pretty, a pretty regular church in all those ways, but unusually favored and blessed by God in the this season of our right. lives. So I'm going to ask you more about your church in a moment, but let me just comment first. You said in the past, what, maybe up to three years, a lot's happened in your church. And I wonder if our stories are the same. So we found that, uh, during COVID, our governor shut us down. We were shut down for, I don't know what, we maybe a month and then or two months, and then he allowed us to reopen, but with distancing and all that stuff. So we we were like the first church to reopen in our area, and a lot of churches didn't reopen for a long time. Well, some of their people got mad, like I want to go worship somewhere. Let's find one that's open. They found us, and they're still here. And and then they brought friends, and they brought friends. And so we grew a lot due to that. At the same time, a number of churches in our area 
were, you know, a lot of things were happening at the same time, weren't they? A lot of our churches were going wokey on them. They were going LGBTQ in one way or another or to one degree or another. Uh, they were doing revisionist history and just all kinds of weird stuff, you know. You, you know, it was happening in churches. And so they were leaving churches for those reasons and coming to us as well. And so we found ourselves with a whole bunch of new people in the past two years, three years. And, uh, and like you said, that created a lot of work for us because the places they come from. So they'd come here and, and they'd say, hi, you know, hi, Pastor Steve, love it here and all that. Love we're hearing the word. And I ask them, where'd you come from? And they said, XYZ church down the road there. So I go online and I watch some services at each of these churches that people have told me. And man, brother, there's a famine of the word. Like we realize these people don't have any good doctrinal foundation at all. So we're adding things to put more doctrinal ballast in the souls of these people, more classes, more whatever, because uh, we just have a lot of work to do. Is that similar to what you experienced? Yeah, it, it is in many regards. Uh, although you know, we got some folks from other churches in the area, but one of the things that happened that we were just not prepared for is we had people moving into the area. <laughs> yeah. Probably and, some of them from right here, because man, not a month went by without somebody telling me either they're going to North Carolina or Florida or Kentucky. That's exactly what happened. And Canada, we've become almost a refugee center for Canadians. Flee in Canada. Yeah. It, and it's heartbreaking. I mean, I wept with these brothers and sisters to listen to their stories. I mean, some of them walked away from everything and uh, they don't, going to lose all the land and houses and possessions they had when they walked away. It's, it's heartbreaking, but, but God did that. And um, yeah, we, we've had a lot of people who have just been looking for normalcy hmm. and, and just kind of a, a simple commitment to the word of God. So it's created challenges because like you say, they've come from all different backgrounds and some of them like what they think we are. Yes. What they think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and yet when you know, we've slowed down membership processes mm. multiple with folks just to kind of reiterate, look, this is you like what you see here. The reason you what you are getting is likable to you is because of these foundational realities that we will not compromise on. Right. Uh, so it's been a real discipleship opportunity and yeah. challenge. And most of the time it's worked out well, sometimes not. And that's okay. And, you know, people need to know what they're getting into and, and we need to know who they are and what they're committed yeah. to. Amen. If it's going to last. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's been good, but it's, yeah. a, it's a challenge. You know, we also found, I mentioned to you that the places they come from in many cases, the preaching was so thin, so little scripture, yeah. so little doctrine in their church or none practically that uh, they think I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. You open the Bible and you preach. And we, they're like my biggest fans now because they haven't heard just simple old biblical preaching before. So it's pretty easy to please them so far. Yeah. If you, just, if you read the Bible and pray and sing, uh, a lot of times you know, those things we take for granted that uh, many people have not experienced before. And so it, it does kind of indicate some of the sad realities that are out there in the larger evangelical world. Yeah, amen to that. So I want to ask you another question about Grace Baptist. Um, how would you say, how is Grace Baptist distinct from generic run-of-the-mill XYZ evangelical church down the street? What sets you guys apart? Yeah, well, we are confessional. Uh, we are ashamed 
confessional. So we say, this is what we believe. We don't think the confessions are uh, infallible, but we say, we think this is a good summary of what the Bible teaches. And we're not looking for truth in these areas. So when we have people show mm. up and say, but uh. close my why won't you consider preterism, full preterism, or why won't you consider uh, new covenant theology? And we'll say, look, we're not looking for truth in those areas. If you can convince us we're wrong with an open Bible, we'll hear you. But don't come and say we got to start from zero or from neutral. We're not neutral. We're committed. We're that's pre-committed. Good. So, well, we're th- that's distinctive about us. Um, we are simple, and we have been simple a long time. You know, people will come in and they'll, they'll or call us and say, "Well, do you have children's church?" And we say, "Well, yeah, we do." Well, when does it meet? You know, at the same time the adults meet. Where does it meet? Same place. Same place. <laughs> and we just want children in our services. And in fact, one of the things that uh, COVID did for us, we used to have a, a regular nursery and rotation of volunteers that would watch. You know, two, two years and younger in our nursery. But uh, we stopped all of that, all our classes during COVID in those early months. And uh, then we, we got hit with a hurricane last year that kind of exacerbated the problem. But, but now then we have a nursery facility or facilities and people can use them, but we don't staff it. And we, we encourage everybody to keep kids in the service, which we had always done, but we had this provision. Now we don't have the provision. And that's, that's intentional. And when people hear about that, they're like, oh, man, it's got to be miserable. And sometimes it is, you know, sometimes <laughs> it gets but, uh, overwhelmingly people come and, and even parents with young kids, they come and they realize this can be done because mm. they see, you know, mm. dozens of families doing it. And they might have been told all their lives, no, you can't expect, you know, a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, on up to a 10-year-old, 12-year-old to sit in a worship service. And they see it being done. And uh, there's something attractive about that. So, you know, we're, I'm, I'm not a family integrated church in terms of that model, That's but I'm pretty much at home there and got friends in those, that world that you're know, committed to that as a, 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 an approach to church life. I think the other thing uh, I would say about us is, man, we we really are concerned about law and gospel, and uh, it's a it's a bedrock conviction of mine that a right understanding of law and gospel uh, informs everything that we do, both in terms of our uh, preaching, teaching, counseling, encouraging evangelism, as well as even our structuring in the church. And so, as I said, we're simple. We, we meet Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's it. And then we have other things. People do discipleship. We have a very organic approach to discipleship. And I don't know how many discipling groups we have right now, but you know, it's been as many as 80 or 90 mm-hmm. and probably not that many right now. Not anything the elder structure or we program. It's just, hey, look, here's how you do it. And if you want to do it, do it this way. And we will recommend uh, some books and materials for you. That's That's been really, really healthy as well. So I think the simplicity of trying to just do the the things that God calls a church to do, do them as to the best of our ability, uh, would set us apart because we don't have you know seven programs. We don't have a youth minister or youth program. We believe that young people uh, are part of the church and they need to become Christians and live like Christians in the church, and uh, that's been a healthy thing as well. Very good. So I, I will confess we do have a youth pastor, uh, but he and all his youth are in our services when we're worshiping. They just have additional things that they do as youth. But um, we also found that the same thing happened with us in our nursery during COVID. Uh, we closed it down. Then when we reopened it, nobody was using it. 
Yep. Nobody was staffing it. So we have way more babies in the services now than we used to have. And actually, yeah. I found out I love it. And often, it, just a wonderful opportune time. One of them makes a big squawk that kind of accentu accentuates what I just said. So yeah. it's working out pretty good. But yeah, once in a while, there's that new couple that doesn't realize that once the baby's screaming, they need to walk out. You know? uh, and, and that can be a little bit of a hassle. Like, I, I can get louder than them. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we have our, our uh, assistant pastor, Graham Gundon, has three little ones. And so he'll usually make the announcement about, hey, man, we're glad to have kids here. And, and I know personally that sometimes you just have to take them out. And that's fine. Don't be embarrassed. Take them out. And here's ways you can do that, what's available to you. And, and so uh, it's a way to signal that, yeah, you know, if they get too loud or antsy, it is right for you to take them out. We yep. expect you to do and we want to encourage you to do that. And don't be embarrassed about it. Great problem to have, huh? Babies in your church. It is. We, we it have is. we have a slew. Is that a good word to use for babies? We have a lot, a lot of babies going on right now, and we love it. Yeah, it's really great. Well, let's switch and talk about founders. And I have to admit to you, I'm only kind of remotely acquainted with founders, so I'm curious. And that's some of why you're on today, and we're talking, so I can learn about, and our listeners can learn about founders. And I, correct me if I'm wrong. Founders is. A, like a subset within the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a group of Southern Baptist people who have formed together with some common interests. And I'm going to assume you're, are you the largest group in the SBC? I don't know. And we're not really in the SBC. So, uh, you know, it, we, the people that started it were all SBC, but we're not, we're not affiliated with the SBC in, in any, in form. any way. I no. didn't realize that. Oh yeah. We've got churches that are not, um, Southern Baptist at all. We got churches that aren't Baptist, but we we are a Baptist ministry, and uh, you know we've been living in the Southern Baptist world, but we've been way broader than that for a long, long time. I didn't know that. So you said yeah. you have some that aren't Baptist. You mean like PCA guys or something? Yeah, you know, I mean, got, yeah, Methodist OPC and uh, Bible Church. The people that just like what we're doing, and they yeah. say, hey, man. Can we partner with you? And of course, it's very informal. So it's not like you sign a commitment card or, you know, you got to uh, sign up for these things. Uh, the, the most uh, visible way that people will affiliate with us right now is on our church search, which I don't know, we have maybe a thousand churches or so on there. When people are looking for churches to go to on vacation or they move to a new place, uh, it's been a great uh, benefit for them to look and find churches in their area through that. So are those churches that you all have vetted in one way or another and can say, hey, we recommend this one? No, it's not that strong, but it is. They are churches that have to identify their confession of faith and have to acknowledge that they are at least broadly in support of the, uh, I think I forget the wording, but the concerns of Founders Ministry, something like that. Hmm. So, they and there's like the the uh, Dallas statement on social justice and the gospel. There are things like that on there. So woke churches and others that you know might just be looking to get their name out are mm. going to be not qualified to be on the list. Right. But we can't make a guarantee. I don't know all the churches, um, sure. but it's a starting point for people if they're looking for churches. Very good. So I believe you're the founder of Founders, <laughs> aren't you? Yeah, there were seven men that founded it. I was the youngest, and so uh, <laughs> you've yeah, outlived them. What what led you all to start Founders? Well, what, uh, what was, back, the, what was the, the need that you saw? Yeah, it was back in the early days. Uh, again, we were all Southern Baptists, so uh, it was in the early days of the conservative resurgence within the SBC, the inerrancy movement, and um, all of us were convinced inerrantists. All of us 
had become convinced Calvinist reformed in our soteriology. Mm -hmm. And we knew that inerrancy is vital, but it's not enough. And at some point we're going to have to decide, you know, hey, what does this inerrant word actually teach and require of us? And so as we began to associate together, a man named Bernie Reisinger was really the catalyst who drew us all together. Hmm. And uh, he invited different ones to uh, spend a day together in prayer and thinking and planning in uh, November of 1982. So we met in a, a Holiday Inn outside of Dallas, Texas, a little town. Well, it's, not, it's a part of the metropolis now called Euless, Texas. And spent the day praying, reading scripture, singing, and uh, then the afternoon part of that, we said, "What do we do?" We planned we planned a conference for the next year. We had our first conference in August of I think, or maybe July of uh, uh, 1983. And um, from we didn't know if anybody'd show up. You know, I mean, how many Southern? And it was for Southern Baptists. Uh, how many Southern Baptists would want to come to a conference on the on the doctrines of grace? Mm -hmm. But that hundred guys or so, a little more than that. that and showed what year up. was that again? It was 1983. So even back then there were, there were guys deciding, Hey, I'm reformed. Yeah. I mean, not many. And we didn't know each other very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ernie had mailed out things, you know, back in the old days with the only way you could communicate. Yeah. Mail. yeah, yeah snail mail. And so he had a, a mailing list of about three or 400 that, mm. you know, they're not all fully committed. But uh, 100 guys, I think it was 110 that showed up. We were blown away. Sweet fellowship. We said, we got to do this again. And so that began an annual meeting that became known as the Founders Conference. The first mm -hmm. title that we had was the Southern Baptist Conference on the Faith of the Founders. So <laughs> mercifully shortened to Founders Conference. Not as bad as like a Puritan title for a book. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Goes on for 42 lines. Yeah. And then, you know, after, I don't know, 10 years or so, it was much broader than the SBC. So we didn't uh, try to make a big deal about being Southern Baptist, though mm -hmm. that's been the waters we most of us have been swimming in. Mm -hmm. you know, from that, the a Founders Journal uh, uh, developed. There was also a Founders Youth Conference that existed for many years. We had some regional conferences and pastors fraternals, started publishing books. So now Founders Press is a going concern. We got on the internet pretty early, and so Founders Ministries or founders.org uh, has a ton of resources that we've uh, produced. Yeah, by, by the way, on the front of books, I've been looking at uh, those two beautiful volumes that you've published by, I believe it's Jim Renahan yeah, uh, right. on the confession. Wow, they're gorgeous. Just the look of them makes me think, oh, I got to buy those. Yeah, well, good. I hope that has that same effect on others because they're good, good books. And uh, Jim's done incredible work. I mean, that's his life's work. This is his mm -hmm. magnum opus, that mm -hmm. second, uh, second London Confession expos exposition. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's what, you know, we have the Sword and Trial podcast. And then yes. the thing I guess I'm most excited about that I think has the most potential for long lasting good that Founders has ever done is uh, what we started during COVID, and it's the Institute of Public Theology, yes. which is its second year now. Talk and, about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm blown away by this. Uh, yeah, it was, there's a longer story I'll, I'll spare you, but uh, the, the essence of it, there was a group of men that I got together to think about what can we do to form some kind of institution that would be useful for churches in the generation to come. Because during 2020 year COVID, man, everything's shut down. You, you see yeah. evangelical institutions and leaders folding like cheap suits uh, mm -hmm. all over the place in the face of the, the sociological, ideological uh, movements saying you must and you, you know, you shall, you can't. 
And so it became so disturbing uh, to me that we formed a little group to try to explore actually purchasing some property in another state to form the basis of an outpost that uh, we thought could be useful for generations. That fell through, but the, the lessons we learned in the process uh, led us to say, why don't we try it right here in Cape Coral? And so I picked up the phone. I never do this because Vody's seven or eight hours ahead of me, Vody Balkum in uh, Zambia. But I just picked up the phone and called him and he answered. Huh. And I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm thinking about starting uh, uh, an institution like a seminary that will uh, be focused on public theology, training men uh, for the future. Laid it out to him and said, I, I, I'd like for you to be a, a founding faculty with me. I said, what do you think? He said, I'm in. I'm in. Just I'm like in. that. Yeah. You know, he didn't think about it, pray about it, talk to anybody. He said, I'm in. So uh, with that, my next phone call was to Tom Nettles. And uh, mm -hmm. Tom listened to me and he said, well, let me think and pray about it. He called back the next day. He said, I'm in. And so it was a, a marvelous kind of confirmation uh, with those two men, especially. We had other guys involved in trying to get things going. But those were the two guys that, that were at the foundation and hung in there uh, all the way through. So. We announced it. That was in August of 2020. We announced it in December, and we had our first class in uh, I think it was August wow. of 21. Now, what what's the focus? Who who's the person who's going to take your classes? Is this another seminary, or is this more geared to helping laymen get stronger, or what is the focus? Yeah, it's it. The focus is on training men for pastoral ministry. It is, but we we are broader than that, because the founders from the beginning has been focused on pastors and church leaders. And what we've discovered is when we aim for them, we help others. Other people will benefit from what we're trying to resource these folks with. And the same thing's true with IOPT. So we've just announced in the last three months, uh, degree tracks. I was not interested in degrees. I'm not interested in accreditation. I just want to provide the best theological education in the world, bar none. And I believe we're on pace to do that. The faculty that God has assembled is mind-boggling to me. Uh, so, I mean, Bodie Bauckham, uh, we got uh, James Dolezal, we got Carl Truman coming in to teach ethics this summer. Um, we've got Jim Renahan just finished teaching symbolics, Conrad and Bayway teaching preaching, uh, Vody teaching cultural apologetics, Tom Nettles teaching history. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. The caliber of men, Jim Scott, Ork, uh, it, it's incredible. Uh, um, you know, anyway, just it just is amazing to me that God's assembled these brothers to come and, and teach in these ways. But what we decided, we, we started looking at things last year, and we've come up with degrees that we can actually offer now. So we offer, starting this semester, a uh, Bachelor of Arts in Public Theology. We will offer a, a Master of Divinity in Public Theology. You can get a Master of Arts in Public Theology. And you can do those degrees kind of in a, a, a seamless way. So we have a, a BA to an MDiv that a person can do in five years. Mm -hmm. And one of the, uh, actually the pastoral assistant here at our church is going to be the first student probably to graduate on that track. So if, if a guy in our church up here in Maryland wants to enroll in that, does he have to move to Florida or no, can he do this remotely? You can do it remotely. Uh, I mean, we have classes here, but we also, you can take them live online while they're being taught, but we are also putting them together where these can be taught online in an ongoing uh, basis. So we're going to have kind of an integrated approach where uh, professors will be available live 
as well as then down the road, you can take these courses and hit your lectures and get all the assignments uh, after the course has, has been live the year before, whenever it was. And we do have a, a significant uh, way for people to audit courses as well. And we've oh, got a lot that's good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we've had pastors from all over the nation that have come in for specific courses. They just wanted to, like we did a, a course with Ben Dunson on political theology. Hmm. And so we had pastors that came in, man, I, you know, I didn't get that in seminary. No, I, <laughs> I'd be interested in that course. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, it's just good, good stuff. And, and Jim Renahan's just completed the symbolics course, uh, mm-hmm. which I didn't get that in seminary. So Same here. They're, they're guys that can, you, you can audit that. And we try to make it as, as uh, inexpensive as possible. In fact, we have a thing set up now that if a church will pay half of the tuition, which the tuition's on the lower end of what's the rates in educational institutions right now, if a church will pay half the tuition, we'll pay the other half as a scholarship. So a guy can go for free if he enrolls as a full-time student with a church blessing. Because, man, if, if we just had a, a recent guy that applied, and you got to have a, a pastor's recommendation, church recommendation, and because we want churchmen. If you're not grounded in a church, we're not interested in you coming and just kind of gleaning some things on your own. You need to be in a church. And through consultation with his pastor, he he talked this week to us and said, you know, my pastor doesn't think I'm ready. So I'm withdrawing my application. We said, praise God. That's that's worth the whole process right there is that you get that kind of uh, oversight from your pastor. Good churchmanship going on. And he was willing to withdraw. Amen. Yeah, yeah. it was really good. So mm-hmm. we're committed to seeing uh, what we can do to strengthen churches. So we've got Sunday school teachers that have come and taken courses and uh, and it, it's, we want to make it accessible, but we've got a pretty clear focus on what it is we're providing. Very good. Yeah. By the way, I, this somehow in my mind, this is related. Uh, I think I know how, uh, just FYI, I follow you on Twitter and uh, I do, I follow your sword and trial podcast. Really enjoy it. Thank you. And the way this is related is that's how come I know about some of these things that you are talking about, but I'm really appreciating hearing more and learning more about them. So, so thank right. you for that. Hey, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, do I need to apologize? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm loving it. <laughs> loving it. Keep it coming. And I like the people you retweet too. That introduces me to some new people here and there. And it's pretty good. good. Um, by the way, you mentioned you mentioned Vody, and I'll just tell you this little story. So uh, we're actually looking at the African Christian University right now, thinking of the possibility of uh, beginning to offer financial support to Vody's theological students. Oh, good. So we've been working on that for a while. So one of the one of the founders, I think he's one of the chancellors now. His name is Ken Turnbull. He's an old mm-hmm. friend of mine. I used to be his pastor in Riverside, California, years ago when he was getting his PhD at the University of California, Riverside. So uh, I got in touch with Ken about a year ago and said, hey, I hear you're at the African Christian University. What's it all about? And what if we wanted to help? And he said, oh, you could help support some of Vody's students. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, this is completely tongue in cheek now. We're going to offer him some really good money, maybe. But it's going to have this this condition. You have to convince Vody to come preach at our church sometime. <laughs> Does that have any hope? <laughs> yeah, you know, man, you, that, might, that might get his attention right there. So, yeah, well. Bodie, I'm, he's a he's a wonderful brother, and of course his time's pretty stretched pretty thin. But if you get on, so. yeah, I, I would think he would be happy. Uh, to, well, to, I'm I'm mainly just kidding because he oh, needs to spend his time in larger venues than we are, where he's speaking to larger groups of people. So I get it. No, but I mean he's he's not just limited to that. So uh, you know, you he's got guys that help him set his schedule. 
but I would, I would encourage you to reach out and see if there's a way you can get Interesting. Him. Yeah, I would. Yeah, maybe we'll support some of his students for a while and get a little reputation with him. Just ask him to come over and pick up the checks. <laughs> That's it. Uh, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit here, and, and let's talk about the state of the church just in general. So if you could change something in XYZ Baptist Church down the road, you know, on average, general state of things, what would you change? I think I would change uh, the— determination of the leadership to take seriously regenerate church membership, leave in and then do what is required to practice a, a conviction of regenerate church membership. I think that would go, that would probably expose a number of other things that would have to be dealt with. Hmm. And it would also get them on a pathway to spiritual health faster than anything. Hmm. So do you mean you, you, it's your estimation that there are lots of churches that have a lot of unregenerate members. Either they were admitted and not carefully vetted and allowed in, even though they weren't showing signs of regeneration, or they've just been there a long time and never been saved. Um, is it something like that? And so churches have a lot of that? Yeah, and that, that's dying away because, you know, cultural Christianity isn't nearly as chic as it used to be. Yeah. But uh, everybody from W.A. Criswell to Paige Patterson to Billy Graham have all said something like this, that at least, you know, half to three fourths of the people they look at every Sunday morning, they're convinced do not know the Lord. Don't even know the Lord. Preach. Mm -hmm. So that's been a reality in, in this last century uh, because we just lost this idea of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, you know, the, the things that God can, has convicted me of over the years, they're very, very simple. And it is, you know, what is a Christian? How does a person become a Christian? Uh, what is the gospel that has to be believed to be a Christian? And what is a church? I think if we asked and ruthlessly, biblically answered those three questions, that we would all be far better off hmm. than we are in very our churches. Good. So what would a pastor do? Let's say you have a young pastor. He's uh, he's doctrinally solid. He loves the Lord. He loves the Bible. He loves the people. He loves the kingdom. And now he's pastoring a church, and, and he figures out, you know what? About half of my sheep aren't sheep. <laughs> About half of my people you know, are, are goats. Um, what, what would you recommend? What could he do to start cleaning that up so that they would have a regenerate membership as much as is humanly possible? Yeah, well, first I would encourage him not to make— uh, final judgments uh, on the things, leave that to the Lord, but to we can to start introducing biblical Christianity to the congregation. And I, I don't mean to, to sound harsh with that, but what is it, th those three questions, you know, just ask them, what is a Christian and take advantage of opportunities to preach on Preach the Sermon on the Mount. Preach John, uh, knowing that you probably cannot make all of the applications that you might like to make and that you see in the text at this time. But if you can just get people uh, reading and thinking about the words of Jesus, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. But he will my father in heaven. So, it's, oh, yeah, I'm just when you just read those verses and stop. And just say, point to them and say, isn't that a sobering thought hmm. from the lips of our Lord? Hmm. People who just read their Bible, you know, superficially, they they hear it and they whoa, yeah. it's going to be a devastating reality on that day to think you're saved and then discover you're not. I mean, just you're not making judgments on people. You're just trying to call attention to what the Bible says about biblical Christianity. So I would do that. And, and, and before that even, 
I would, and it, I'm just telling you what I did here. I mean, and so mm-hmm. what it's worth, but hammer on the authority of God's word. Yeah. Everybody, everybody in our circles and our churches, even the churches today, they all believe the Bible. You know, we all say we believe the Bible, but many of them don't know what's in the Bible. Right. So, you know, we're going to follow this book wherever it leads. We're going to believe whatever it says, regardless of cost or consequences. If our people heard that once, they heard that 500 times in the first five to 10 years yeah. that was preaching here because it's, yes, we're pre-committed, pre-committed to the scripture, whatever the scripture says, that's it. And then you say, okay, what does the scripture say? It's like, whoa, well, wait a minute. You know, but we're pre-committed. We've all agreed on that. And what happens is there begins to be this sort and a lot of people, and you gotta, you gotta be prepared for a fight. Uh, it's yeah. easy to fight and I'm not encouraging you to go pick fights, but I am encouraging you to pray for wisdom to know which fights you absolutely mm. must fight. Mm-hmm. Be willing to fight them. Be willing to find those hills that are worth dying on and die. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Good if counsel. That, then it's never going to change. And, um, it's not going to happen without conflict. So gear up, read the New Testament with both eyes open, realize you're not the first one to experience conflict in churches <laughs> and for wisdom to navigate that in holiness in ways that honor Christ and that is faithful to the truth that's been entrusted to you as an under shepherd. And then call older men, you know, talk to older men who've been down the road. Uh, some of them there can tell you, you what those are yeah, and that God used that to save me tons of headaches that I otherwise would have bought for myself. Yep. Yeah. You reminded me of the, the first church I pastored that paid me. I was a pastor at another church before that. They didn't pay me, but the first one that paid me, I was 26 when I went there and, uh, it was, it was a little handful of people in that church. They didn't pay me much, but they were sweet. And, uh, I kind of assumed they'd all be believers. And so one of the first things I did was preach through the gospel of John. And so many of them figured out, Oh, I'm not saved. And, but a whole lot of them came to the Lord and brought their relatives who came to the Lord. And we had like a little mini revival going on in that church for, for quite a while. But there were also people who were very unhappy. Yeah. Because now we're talking yeah. about, you know, what, what are some of the marks of, a, of the regeneration in, of the Holy Spirit in your, in your soul? What are some marks of a true believer and all that? So uh, exactly what you were just saying, that happened in that first church that paid me as a pastor. Yeah, there's three things, you know, that when you start doing that, that'll happen. One of three things. They'll they'll either get right with God, they'll get out because mm-hmm. they can't take it, or they'll try to get rid of the preacher. Right. But there you go. Three things are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Periodically, they'll try to get rid of the preacher. Very good. So let me see. I'm also going to ask you about, um, hmm. let's, let's talk about preaching for just a moment. If you could change something or some things about preaching in general, in the USA, I'm not a big curmudgeon. I'm not trying to get us here. You know, it's just bad, bad talk, everybody. But we both know there are some serious deficiencies in preaching in a lot of places. If you could change something about preaching in those places, what would it be? Well, I, I would try to contend for uh, expository preaching. You know, mm-hmm. the preaching just looks at what the Bible says and tries to explain it and apply it and, and illustrate it to the best of our abilities. Uh, I think that would go a long way. But underlying that, it, it really comes back to law and gospel. Uh, I, I wish that uh, somehow all of us could understand better the relationship of God's law to God's gospel, how they serve one another, how they're, they're not to be confused with each other. Uh, the law was never designed to save anybody. Uh, and the gospel is the only thing that saves anybody. But 
God's law is as precious to him as his gospel. And if you don't get those straight, you're just not going to come out right on several things. So I would love to see a more rigorous uh, appreciation of and study of and commitment to preaching God's law and gospel uh, as they've been given to us in the text. Good answer. And I'll just mention for the listeners that uh, if they will Google your name, Tom Askell, and law and gospel, they will find on YouTube, they'll find a sermon that you're preaching on law and gospel. I listened to it recently, getting ready for this. I wanted to get to know you a little bit more. And so really excellent sermon, by the way, loved it. So uh, if anybody wants to follow up on that, go find that sermon, Tom Askell, law and gospel, law and gospel, you'll get it. All right. Well, I think I'm going to draw this to a close pretty soon here. Is there anything you want to say to, to the church I pastor here? You don't know anything about us, but anything you want to say to our church here in Maryland? Yeah, man. Love your pastor. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Spoil him. He's worthy of double honor. Take that seriously. Go to the text and ask, what does this mean? Why did Paul put it like this? Double honor, huh. double honor. And ask yourself, are we showing our pastor double honor? Hmm. So uh, you can tell him that uh, I encourage him to do that. Man, I love you, brother. That was good. <laughs> Preach it. <laughs> yeah. Thank well, you for God, spending this time in this church. And, uh, I love pastors and pastors have loved me. And, uh, you know, I, whenever you find a faithful pastor, man, I just, I want to be next to that guy and, and learn from him and encourage him any way I can. Yeah. Amen to that brother. Yeah. I guess both of us having been pastors and both of us for a long time, um, you, you really, really appreciate those people who are your big encouragers. And so you, you want to be that, like if, if I have to retire for some reason tomorrow, my health goes bad or whatever, and um, I, I'm now I'm a member in a church somewhere, man, I'm going to be the strongest supporter of that pastor, or I'm going to get out of there. Right. Right. If I can't Amen. be. Yeah. Amen. The Amen. Same way. Thank you for joining me. Really appreciate this. And uh, maybe Earl Blackburn can, can bump us into each other again sometime somewhere, and we'll get further acquainted. Yeah, I look forward to the opportunity. I would there. actually like, love to come to one of your founders' conferences. I just find that I'm going to be 69 in August. I'm a young 69. I'm, I look more like 27, right? You go ahead and say it. It's okay. But, um, but man, I don't travel as well as I used to. Yeah. I don't sleep I, as well. Yeah. And then, you know, then I'm struggling with sleep loss. And then there's long days in the conference and all that. And, oh, man, I need that 27-year-old body again. Well, I understand that. But when those arguments start uh, suggesting you shouldn't come – just check the calendar and the temperatures uh, where you are. <laughs> what time of year do you have the conference? January. Oh, that sounds pretty sweet. Can you bring Man. wives along? Uh, you betcha. You betcha. You that know? sounds even sweeter. Hmm. A lot of people do that. They'll plan to come early or stay a little bit longer. And I mean, it's it's typically gorgeous weather, and it's just a you know it's a good relaxing time as well. So uh, love to have you. Not bad. I'd love to see you there. Love to be there. All right. Thank you, brother. Thanks so much for joining me. This has been Grounded, and uh, you can find us on all the major platforms. So uh, thanks to all of you for listening today. Yeah, thanks for having me on.